Chapter 11 of the Great Diamond Syndicate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. The Great Diamond Syndicate by Nicholas Carter. Chapter 11 A Startling Discovery. The clerk passed out of the room with an offended air. He was loath to leave the presence of the great detective, without gaining some notion as to his course of action in the murder case. The elevator boy soon made his appearance, and Nick asked, "'You have been on duty all night?' "'Yes, sir.' "'You carried a slender, dark-faced person up to this room an hour or so ago?' "'Yes, sir.' Nick looked at his watch. The hands pointed to the hour of two. "'Can you tell me the exact time?' he asked. It was ten minutes past one when I left the office for the elevator, was the reply. Did the person speak to you on the way up? Yes, sir, was the reply. He asked me about the fire escape and the stairs winding about the elevator well. Seemed afraid of fire. About the voice, harsh or soft? Soft and low, sir. Yes, yes. And when did that person go down again? I don't know, sir. He did not go down in the cage. Did you see the person going down? No, sir. Did you see him pass through the office? No, sir. It was late, and I guess I was asleep in the elevator. You saw the young man who came to this room? The brown-haired one? Yes, sir. Nick pointed to the silent figure in the chair at the table. The boy stepped forward and peered into the dead man's face. Gee! he cried, springing toward the door. Why didn't you tell me he was dead? Did that other feller kill him? That is what we are trying to find out, said Nick. Now, when this young man came up in the elevator, did he say anything to you? Yes, he asked me if I knew the party in 43. And you? I told him that I did not. I had seen him only once. Is that all he said? Yes, sir. How did he act? Queer, I thought. When he stepped out of the cage, he turned back again, as if he thought of going back down with me. Once or twice he clutched his left side, up there by the inside pocket. I wish he had gone down again, cried Maynard, starting from his chair. He lost his life by going on. Can nothing be done, Mr. Carter? Is he past all hope of recovery? Nick dismissed the elevator boy and turned to the agitated young man. "'Don't give way to your emotions now,' he said. "'We have much to do if the murderer is ever brought to justice and the diamonds recovered.' "'Never mind the diamonds,' said Maynard. "'I wish I had never set eyes on them. First, my poor uncle, and now my best friend. "'The devil is in the diamonds. "'I hope I shall never see them again. "'Are you strong enough to remain here while I take a look at the body in the room?' If not, you would better sit in the office. Oh, yes, I'll remain here. Poor Henry, you don't know what it is to lose a chum like that. Nick approached the body and lifted the head from the table. There was no blood in sight. But just over the heart was a faint stain. The detective opened the shirt and saw a tiny puncture in the breast. The dead man had been stabbed with some slender weapon. The wound was exactly over the heart. Nick gazed long and thoughtfully at the still figure. 
He did not understand how the wound could have been made so exactly over the vital spot. If Townsend had resisted, such a mode of murder would have been impossible. Then a light came to the wondering detective. He bent forward and laid his face close to that of the dead man. "'I thought so,' he then muttered. "'What is it?' asked Maynard. A spray of chloroform was thrown into Townsend's face, and the wound was made while he was dazed, if not quite unconscious. But if the murderer had him under the influence of the drug, why did he not permit the drug to do the work? This stabbing seems brutal and unnecessary.' "'I can't understand that part of it myself,' said Nick. "'However, we shall know more of the details before long.' "'What sort of a weapon was it?' asked Maynard. "'The cut is a tiny one.' "'It might have been made with a hat-pin,' said Nick. "'Men don't carry hat-pins about with them,' said Maynard. "'This murder,' replied Nick, "'was committed by a woman.' "'A woman?' echoed Maynard. "'Exactly, by a woman disguised as a man. "'That may be why the young man was dazed with a spray of chloroform "'before the fatal blow was struck. "'The woman was not strong or daring enough to take the risk of determined resistance. "'But how do you know that it was a woman who was here? "'The clerk said nothing about that.' "'The clerk was deceived. "'See here, this blue ribbon comes from the front of a woman's undervest. "'In the haste of dressing in Townsend's clothes,' The ribbon broke, and she tossed it aside. There are other things that tell me it was a woman, sure enough. Think of a woman doing a thing like this, cried Maynard. Horrible crimes have been committed by women, said Nick, laying the cast-off clothing of the murderer on the table and drawing up a chair. There's nothing in the pockets, he finally said. Not a blessed thing. Now for the tailor. Ah! What is it? asked Maynard as Nick gave a start of surprise. The clothes, he said, were made in Paris by Monsieur Dumont. Here is the mark of the firm on the inner side of the collar. Careless thing to leave that mark here. It tells a great deal. I see no name there, said Maynard. Of course not, said the detective, but the trademark of the firm is here. I have seen it before under similar circumstances. Dumont makes clothes for actors, and has also been nicknamed the thieves' tailor. In other words, he makes duplicates, imitations, disguises, and all sorts of trick garments. He is known by the better class of rascals the world over. Then we can easily learn the name of the person who ordered this suit. End of chapter 11. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona.